Last week, Sunday, many of us were met with bad news, very sad news. In fact, as we were preparing the TV for last week running a test, I saw a little banner on the screen saying that Kobe Bryant and his daughter had died. And the whole world really began mourning Kobe's passing. Just unexpected, and all the things that he had done for the sports world, for the game of basketball, being more than just a basketball player, but re being an ambassador for basketball and really lifting up children and wanting young people to, to become all the best they can be and using basketball as, a, as an avenue for that. It was very moving and touching. I'm sure you've seen all of the news, um, news videos and write-ups about Kobe Bryant and by many people who loved him and played with him. There's something about sports contests, isn't it, that just brings out our hearts. So often we speak about people who put their whole heart into a sports contest. And when you see a sports contest, it's easy to see that. It's a lot harder to see somebody who puts all their heart into doing a word processor document. They might truly be all, all into that word processor document, but it's a little harder to see. God tells us to be wholehearted in all that we do. And the idea of a sports contest really... Uh, the Bible, in fact, uses the idea of a sports contest. In our first sermon brought by Daniel, there were three illustrations that were used by Paul, the Apostle Paul, in the book of Second uh, Timothy chapter 2. One is of a soldier, one is of an athlete, another one is of a farmer. And all of these put their whole heart into it in order to achieve a certain result, pleasing the master, obtaining a crown, or getting a, a harvest or a crop. The word that we're looking at today is heart. And I forgot to bring that poster out. Um, can somebody go get that poster? Whoever has a key. Daniel, can you get the poster? I just want to show it to you. We're kind of doing this incrementally. We finally got it framed. I want to show it to you. No, no, I want the poster itself. Yeah, because there's a frame around it now. So uh, I don't see a frame on that one. Joel, you're going to make a virtual frame. Um, um, but there's something about heart. Our verse today is Colossians 3, 23 through 24. We're going to get that into that a little bit more. But our theme of heart today has to do with the characteristics that we have been working on over the last month and will continue to work on, continue to emphasize into the months ahead and really make this a theme for our whole church in the, um, in the future. So we have an acrostic here, F-A-I-T-H. F is for faithful, A is for available, I is for initiative, T is for teachable, and H is for heart. So we're going a little bit out of order today. I'm going to do heart. Joel is going to do teachable because I'm here today and Joel here is next week. So anyway, um, you don't understand that. That's okay. Anyway, there's a good reason for that. And so we are moving through our acrostic today, and today is heart. What is heart, and what do we, how does that affect us? The word heartily, as we find in Colossians chapter 3, is, is a Greek word that means 
really exceedingly. The idea of you really just giving it all. It's about being fully engaged versus being not fully engaged. You know the feeling. You have a favorite subject at school, and you're fully engaged. And you have an unfavorite subject at school, and you're not fully engaged. You're just kind of trudging through things. The heart inspires you to be the best you can be, the absolute best you can be. It inspires you to pursue the best version of you that God wants to make you and is forming you to be. God has an idea of what He'd like you to be. You need to participate with that in order for, to have that be, come into fruition. So if, and if you, what if you fell short of that? I'm going to say today, if you're pursuing what God wants for you, you fell short, so what? Get up again. It's heart that spurs you to get up again. And it's heart that spurs you to help your friend who has fallen down and needs someone to come along and help them get up again. It's heart that, in fact, moves God to not give up on you. Do I hear an amen to that? Hallelujah. Kobe Bryant said, I am extremely blessed for my God-given talent. At the same time, I didn't take it for granted. And what he means by that is he recognizes that he has certain aptitude for basketball that is higher than probably most people. But he also recognized he had to work at it. He had to work at it. Likewise, God has, has given us aptitudes, but we need to participate with that. We need to take that and, 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 and look up to the talent that God gives us and yet take that and maximize it for Jesus. Amen? Good stuff, huh? But we have a problem. You knew that but was coming. How can we be the wholehearted servant when our hearts are sinful and wicked? God already knows your heart, and He gives us the answer. Let's pray. Our Father, thank You for today. Lord, I thank You that before I even speak any of these words, You are already at, at work. You're knowledgeable, fully aware of all of our hearts, the the the. the potential that you've given us, the things that have tripped us up along the way, the times you've inspired us to be better, and the times we've been so discouraged that we couldn't even think about throwing our hearts into things. Lord, we've had times when our hearts were full on and engaged and, and, and hearty, if you will. We've also experienced broken hearts. Father, I pray that today you would allow us to hear your voice, to latch on, hold our arm up, and let you take our hand and walk us to having whole hearts for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Our main verse for the theme of heart today is Colossians 3, 22 and 23, 23 and 24. We're going to get into that a little bit later, though, because I want to deal, before we deal with how to be wholehearted, I want to deal with a problem that we've had, that we all have, and we all know about it, and we're going to refer to that through the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, verses 9 and 10. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And God says, the Lord searched, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind 
to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. So we have here an interesting thing. We have our hearts, and then we have our conduct, almost in contrast with each other. God says our hearts are deceitful. You can see the, the evil and wickedness and darkness that oftentimes fills our hearts. And that so often is the thing that overtakes our hearts and becomes the, 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 the driving thing. But, you know, the evil things aren't the only things in our hearts. And so God knows that there's a lot of potential for our heart. The, God, the first thing we need to do when we understand that our hearts are deceitful and wicked and failure and failing is to ask God for help. Ask God. That's the number one thing. Before we just try to clean up stuff and try to figure it out, ask God. In Psalm 51, David, who had, who had the kingdom before him, was looking out from his window at the expanse of his kingdom, how marvelous it is, and he saw a beautiful woman taking a bath on her roof. We can all ask all kinds of questions about why was she there and etc. It doesn't really matter. All that matters is that David lusted after her and he wanted her. He brought her in, slept with her. She got pregnant and he sent her back home and he had her husband, which is a devoted general, killed. David writes, he was confronted by prophet Nathan. And David understood the gravity of his sin, the magnitude of his sin. In Psalm, 50, Psalm 51, he writes, Create in me a clean heart, O God. You get the idea that David doesn't even know what to do with his heart. It's so, so ugly. The first place to begin is to ask God. Ask God about it. Ask him to help you. David would write also Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. He would say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me. You have the idea of God going first, holding David's hand and walking him through in everlasting ways. First thing to do is engage with God. Second thing to do is to follow God's prescription for a clean heart. God gives us the answers of what to do, but we cannot be passive about this. Don't be passive. We need to be, we need to be active. We need to be almost, uh, we need to be vigilant and, and, and rather forceful in our, in our participation because we are standing against sin in our own hearts. So deceitfulness may be the major part of our heart, but it is not the only part. In Luke 6.45, Jesus says, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. Good news is that there is good stored up in your heart. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. And of course, our actions act out. So, quick question. Who stores up good things in your heart? Who stores up good things in your heart? Say, me, me. Who stores up good things in your heart? Okay, good. Who stores up evil things in your heart? Me, okay. 
There you go. So you are then part of the solution as well. You know, children spend a lot of time when they're young in elementary school and growing up, and they're, they store up a lot of evil in their hearts. I tell you what, uh, our granddaughter just came through elementary school days and in junior high now, and they insult one another. They tell people, don't be around that person and say mean things. They tease, they steal, they break property of their friends. And, and what's more, persons who is a victim of these people, guess what they do? They store up evil in their hearts by becoming bitter and vengeful and hateful, and they wish evil things on that person. And they make vows as defense mechanisms. I'll never such and such. Oh, I'm going to blankety-blank, fill in the blank. And most tragically, the evil in people's hearts can follow them all of their lives. And it can come out later in passive-aggressive ways and, and, and poisons and damages other people's, uh, other people. And then the cycle continues. Boy, that's a downer. Kind of is, though, yeah? But here's the hope. You know, when I became a Christian in my early 20s, I realized that salvation is not only by... Salvation is only by God's grace. That was so clear to me. I mean, I, I had all kinds of so many different vices. I wasn't a good guy who understood, wow, that's wonderful. I think I'll just be a good guy in God's kingdom. I was a, I, I was a reprobate, worldly guy. And I... But, but when I realized that, that salvation only came by God's grace... I also recognized that I had to do a lot to do with my spiritual growth. I had so much evil stored up in my heart. And what I did was I began storing up more good things, good things like, like memorizing Scripture from the Bible and praying and fellowshipping with people who knew how to conduct relationships better than I did and, and sharing Jesus with others. And to tell the truth, the growth seems so slow. I was impatient. I wanted to get rid of that old stuff. You know, my whole yard was full of weeds, and I'm trying to plant grass. You know how that is. And it just seems so slow. I want to do it fast, but I was given good counsel to just grow solidly, grow consistently. Don't be a flash in the pan. You know, there's a, a community program around here called Weed and Seed, Right? The whole idea of weed and seed is you, you pull out the weeds and then you plant good seeds and let that grow. And you, and you have good... In, likewise, the same way for me, I had to stop reinforcing the weeds in my life and begin planting more good influences in my life from the Word of God, from people who had positive influences in my life. So you need to combat evil that you've stored up in your heart by storing up good so here's an example. We can overcome road rage by storing up patience and understanding. Why is that person driving so aggressively? We can overcome unjust criticism with grace and love that God stores up in our hearts. The call by God to take the high road. We can overcome lust with purity Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27 to 28, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
You know that dr- lust is like drug addiction? Lust is a, the reason why lust is so difficult to overcome is because it's a primal, primal drive. And lust or, or desire for something good is not a bad thing. But when you de- that desire takes on um, when, a perverted dimension, now it becomes a bad thing. So similar to deceit, the sin of lust, may n- you may never overcome this side of heaven in this life. It will, like it said in, regarding deceit, beyond cure. You'll never once and for all get rid of love, but, well, lust, but you can combat lust. And here's a simplistic way to combat lust. First of all, don't dwell on a lustful thought. Can you say that with me? Don't dwell on a lustful thought. Turn away. You see an attractive woman? Don't look a second time. Okay, is it driving along? Ooh, got, you know, got that attraction. I want to look again. Uh, no, don't. So I had to do this a lot. Um, use God's Word to battle temptations. Use God's Word. God's Word is sharper than a two-edged sword, and it's like a weapon that we can use against sin in our own lives. Let me share with you how I've used this. First of all, Jesus used the Word of God to battle temptation in Matthew chapter 4. He is our best example. But let me give you a couple of other examples. Proverbs 4, 25 to 27 is a verse I memorized long, long time ago as a young man. I had to memorize this one because this says, Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. So as you can imagine, I'm driving along, I see an attractive woman, and whoa, you know, you can't help seeing an attractive woman. They're just there. But you can, you can help not dwelling on it. You know what I mean? You can say, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. That verse is very important because you can't always not look at an attractive woman. And so what if you're, like, what if you're in a church or at work or something like that and you're going to be around attractive women? You can't just not look at them. You know, oh, yeah, you know, let's, let's do this on this spreadsheet over here. No, you, you got to look at them. You got to make eye contact. You got to engage. But how do you then, con- then get a grip on your mind and your heart? Realize that this person is God's creation. Treat younger women as sisters, treat older women as mothers with absolute purity. And finally, avoid tempting places. Avoid tempting places. If you're an alcoholic, don't go to a bar. Okay? If you are addicted to pornography, don't look it up on your phone. The verses following the Matthew, Matthew, uh, Matthew 5.25 verses say, If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your, right, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your device causes you to sin, get a hammer and smash it. That is Jesus' way of saying, this is crucial. This is really important. Now, he doesn't want you to actually cut off your arm or to gouge out out your eye. But he does want to make a point. 
that this is so important that you need to get victory over that. So the first thing to do for the wholehearted servant is to clean your heart. We have a certain amount of just yuck in our heart that we just have to know how to deal with. The second thing we need to do is to refocus our heart. And this is where our hearts now can really be wholehearted, wholehearted. And this is where Colossians 3, 23 to 24 comes in. Let's go ahead and read that together. And it's there in that little box. Ready, go. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So Paul says, let's take a look at this. Whatever you do, he's actually speaking to servants who are working for masters. Some of those masters may be good. Some of those masters may be bad. Some of the masters may give you assignments that you like to do. Some of those masters may give you assignments you do not like to do. And he says, go ahead and work for it wholeheartedly anyway. Because as though your the attitude should be as working for the Lord, not just working for that master. Why? Two reasons. You're going to have an inheritance. Keep your eye on an inheritance. And number two, it is actually the Lord Christ you are serving. So let's unpack that a little bit, a little bit more. Refocus your heart on your eternal inheritance. So our natural focus, of course, for us is to look at things that are visible and tangible. Those are easy things. But the visible and things are not the most important things. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4.17, the Apostle Paul says to fix your eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 1 Peter chapter 1 describes this inheritance as something that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. For you. Matthew 6.20 says, Lay up your treasures in heaven, where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. The whole idea of that is this heavenly inheritance is eternal. It's forever. Don't sacrifice forever stuff for temporary stuff. 1 Corinthians 9.25 says that athletes go into strict training. They do it for a crown that will not last, but we do it for a crown that will last forever. So although we can enjoy these pictures of these, uh, the champion of a game after the game exulting in their, 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 their glory and the confetti coming down in their championship, and they lift up that trophy, that trophy is temporary. What is, in, what is etched on my mind are pictures of Kobe Bryant and all of his championships and kissing that basketball, right? But that has faded in his life now. That glory may be for this life, but that's not anymore. What is awaiting us in eternity? So here's a question. Well, well here, let me go into two dimensions of our inheritance. Number one is salvation. First of all, I want to emphasize that salvation is by grace through faith. We get heaven, and we get escape from punishment, and we get uh, from, from hell. Hell awaits those 
who do not know Jesus Christ, who have rejected Jesus Christ. Salvation is by grace through faith. However, rewards are by good deeds. You're rewarded by good deeds. These are added blessings. These are recompense for the way you serve. And so the way you serve is added up in God's accounting sheet. So here's a question I have, a quiz. Should I serve wholeheartedly because of what God did for me? Quiz, quiz time. Yes, okay, good answer. Should I serve wholeheartedly to gain heavenly rewards? Yes, good answer. Okay, so both, they're both true, okay? So let's compare this world with eternity. You know, I often save things of sentimental value, things from a, a wedding or birthdays, medals for music or awards for sports. And one day I was under a house and I was looking at a box. I was thinking, what's in this box? I'd forgotten long ago. And it was a, 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 an, a, it was an annual from graduation stuff from one of our kids. And I found a yearbook and somehow it had gotten wet and I thought I'd open it and take a look. I tried opening it and the pages started to tear because it was all fused together and stuck. And that book looked worse than Indiana Jones's dad's diary. <laughs> and so these things don't last. On the other hand, what does eternity in heaven look like? Look at that box. I'm just going to highlight a few, a few things. And the first one and the fourth one. A bride beautifully adorned for her husband. That's what you're going to be a part of. Beautifully adorned. Adorned with every kind of precious stone. Look at that second one, and second from the top and second to the last. God himself will be with them and be their God. We sang a song about desiring to be with God and longing to be with God. God's going to fulfill that one day. Hallelujah. How about this one, the, the third one down? No more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things are passed away. A is making everything new, and everything will remain new. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I just get so excited. So what's the, what's the answer to this? We are supposed to be serving for our eternal reward, but we tend to forget about the eternal reward. Maybe what we need to do is to read Revelation 21 and 22 a little bit more frequently. And that will just kind of set that reward in our eyes and our hearts. So that's the, the wholesome, uh, that'll help us to serve more, more wholeheartedly. So don't let anybody trip you up. You know, there's a, there's a commercial by State Farm Insurance, right? And the client yells, don't mess with my discount. Don't mess with my... Okay, good. I guess you don't watch that commercial too often. But likewise, you always have somebody who's trying to provoke you, provoke this client to speed or drive recklessly, and the, the client says, don't mess with my discount. In this world, we're going to have a lot of people who are provoking us to do things wrong. And you need to say in your mind, and, or maybe to people, don't mess with my heaven. Say it with me. Don't mess with my heaven. That's right. There we go. Our eternal, eternal inheritance. So first thing is to focus on your inheritance. Refocus your heart on the inheritance. Secondly, refocus on an audience of one. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. Know who you are serving. 
the question when we ask this it changes from being, how good is my earthly boss or leader, to who is Jesus? And how good is he? What has he done for you? So here's the danger. We start out wanting to serve God and we gradually end up serving man. So here's an example. So we start out serving God and we pray for the opportunity. God gives you the opportunity, a desire in your heart. He ignites a fire in your heart and he says, okay, I want you to do this and you want to do this. You take initiative. You tell your leaders you like to serve God in such and such a way and the fire builds. And you begin serving and there's excitement that builds. Soon you learn that there are procedures to follow. Okay, a little splash of water on that fire. Then you discover that there's a meeting to attend when you wanted to go to the movies. Okay, a little splash of water on that fire that, uh, that was burning. Someone says you then did something wrong. Ouch! More splash of water. Then you catch a little grief because you're spending too much time with your church project. More splash of water. Okay, you devote all your time and energy, but your leader hasn't thanked you. More splash of water. And then you finish your ministry assignment, and you're so happy, but it's not the deep satisfaction that comes with a job well done. Instead, you're happy because it's over. And you finally make it to the end, and you learn one more valuable lesson, and that valuable lesson is, I'll never do that again. Compare that with refocusing on an audience of one. You learn that there are procedures to follow. Hmm, God is a God of order and procedures. Wow, we can coordinate with these people I'm working with. That assures that we do it with better quality. And you're more knowledgeable. Thank you, Lord. And you learn that sacrificing, uh, you, you go to a movie, you go to a meeting instead of the movie, and you learn that sacrificing the short-term thrill of a movie for Jesus' sake, brings eternal fruit. The movie was fake anyway. You can always catch it later on Netflix. Okay. Next, all is going well, and somebody said you did something wrong. Ouch, that hurts. But you remember Jesus rebuking the disciples, and the disciples learned powerful lessons and went on to change the world. Next, you catch grief at home, but you hear Jesus' voice saying that the ministry task isn't the only thing He's calling you to. He's calling you to your family too. And you learn about balance that Jesus has for you. So your leader hasn't thanked you for all the time that you had effort and time and effort you put in. And so you are forced to ask Jesus about that. And Jesus says, thank you. And that's the best of all. And when your ministry assignment is over, you're happy because... It's a job well done, and because you walked with Jesus along the way, and then Jesus, after the assignment is over, says, come away with me by yourselves to a lonely place, and let's get some rest. Take a break. Let's recharge. And with that kind of rhythm, you can serve wholeheartedly. Let creativity flow. Think big. Think outside the box. And when the truth be told, God's possibilities far exceed what you can even think or imagine or you can do.
That's what it was like for Abraham, Moses, and Gideon, and David, and Elijah. Serve wholeheartedly, and if you fail, so what? You are serving Jesus. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we ponder in our hearts any struggles that we might have had. Why are we What are the things that have sprinkled water on your fire? Sometimes a fire sprinkle of water is good. It brings us back into a soberness. Oftentimes, though, that water just kind of extinguishes our flame. That wasn't what God intended. So how can we bring our hearts back into the game? First of all, clean our hearts. Secondly, keep your eyes on the eternal reward. And remember, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Our Father, I pray that you would be a God that ignites our hearts, O oh God. Just fire up our hearts to be fully on, full on for you. Be fully engaged. And to be watchful whenever we are disengaged. To examine what is going on in our hearts. And to be able to address that. God, revive our hearts. Revive our hearts, oh God. Revive our hearts. Breathe life into us once again. That we can present a full heart to you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.